welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. Hello everyone, Uh, my name is Roger Barker and I'm Director of Policy at the IOD. I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest in our Meet the Politicians series of podcasts, where we speak to political leaders who are active in the world of business policy and find out a bit more about their personal background as well as their policy priorities and objectives. And in this podcast, it's a great pleasure to welcome Sarah Olney, MP. Sarah, hello and welcome. Hello, Roger. Thank you for having me. Now, as as well as being the Liberal Democrat MP for Richmond Park, um, Sarah, you're also the party's spokesperson um, in Parliament for Treasury Business and Industrial Strategy. Um, Sarah was first elected MP in a by-election in December 2016, serving for six months until May 2017. She was then re-elected in December 2019. And Sarah, what I'm sure will interest IOD members is the fact that prior to entering Parliament, you worked in business, you're a qualified accountant, you work for Barclays, as well as for the National Physical Laboratory and Historic Royal Palaces. So I wonder, can you tell us a bit more about your career journey thus far? Uh, Yes, of course. Um, So, I mean, I, when I was at university, I studied English literature and language because it was my favourite subject at school and I really, really enjoyed it. But I wouldn't say it really kind of uh, set me on a particular career path. Uh, Consequently, I went to work for a couple of years in a well-known bookstore called Hatchards on Piccadilly, which I also enjoyed, but was neither particularly lucrative nor particularly, uh, you know, the start of a a kind of a glittering career. So I switched to the um, uh, graduate scheme. Um, at Barclays and I worked there for several years, did uh, a few different roles in uh, sort of project management capacity. So uh, firstly in the wealth management section and then moving over to the events team, which was really fun. Um, And I wanted to take some of that events experience, project management experience, um, back out to sort of the, the, you know, the more sort of cultural sector. And I went off to work for Arts and Business, which is a charity which connects businesses looking to sponsor the arts with arts organisations looking for sponsorship. Um, And then after that, I went to work for my friend's startup. It was a a, a search engine optimization, which was a thing that was just starting at the time, very much sort of cutting edge in terms of using using, uh, sort of web-based skills for helping businesses build their brands. did that, but while I was there, I realised um, I felt like I was sort of lacking a bit of direction. I'd sort of been pinging from one thing to another, and um, much to my surprise, uh, having you know come come from being an English graduate, I realised that the thing I was really interested in was actually the finance function of organisations, where the money comes from, where it's going out, what's your biggest value. Uh, you know, source of revenue, what's your biggest expense, you know, how are you using uh, the wealth you generate to really help you achieve your organization's goals. So that was the point at which I started to study accounting. Um, And I did it sort of in the evenings and at the weekends. And I was having babies at that time as well. So I have vivid memories of, (laughs) um, you know, settling children to sleep and then rushing downstairs to my textbooks to revise for 
uh, you know, various exams and so on. Um, so while I was studying for accounting alongside that, I took a, a number of more finance-based roles. Um, firstly, uh, with uh, an organization called SCI Sales. That was probably my first proper finance-based role. Then I went to work for the um, uh, the National Physical Laboratories, you said, again, in a finance role. Uh, then I got elected to Parliament for the first time. <laughs> and then I got unelected again. And that's when I went to work for Historic Royal Palaces. So I was always building up my finance experience alongside my accounting studies. Um, and I, by the time I was uh, elected in 2016, I'd become a fully qualified accountant with all of my relevant experience. And I was really enjoying, I've got to tell you, I was really oh. enjoying my my finance role at Historic Royal Palaces. <laughs> and okay. when I left, I was kind of like, oh, if only I hadn't been elected to Parliament, I'd have loved to have stayed and, and carried on. I found it such an interesting uh, organisation to work for, but also... Um, retraining as an accountant, it really fulfilled my expectations, I think, of being a much more integral part of an organisation. And that understanding the sort of the, the, the flows of money in and out of an organisation are absolutely essential to figuring out how best to support its purpose. So, um, so yes, I, I, I maintain my membership of uh, <laughs> an accounting body. Who knows what's going to happen in the next general election, but I'm ready to return to accountancy if my constituents don't want me. <laughs> well, I'm sure that knowledge is, is, is proving very useful for you right now and, and, and will do in the future. Uh, but now um, you are the Dibble Democrat spokesperson for quite a wide range of areas. Um, so, so treasury policy, business policy, and industrial strategy. I mean, what are some of the key areas that, that you are focusing on and that you are responsible for? Well, um, alas, all Liberal Democrat MPs have policy uh, responsibilities over a wide range of areas because we are currently 14, <laughs> up from 11 at the last general election. So we all of us do have portfolios and, and most of us cover more than one. Um, but I find it really interesting and I'm really, really glad uh, that Ed Davey asked me to take on the Treasury portfolio um, uh, in particular. I was already doing business and to add the Treasury portfolio was, was really interesting. But honestly, I think business is probably the one that um, interests me the most um, in as much as that's, you know, where I think we can affect the most change. Um, uh, you know, and I'm speaking to you now. I mean, last week we had the interest rate decision and the news about inflation. And I think everyone at the moment is feeling quite um, disheartened about the direction that the economy is taking. Um, but and I, that's why I think, you know, it's in our business community, in our entrepreneurs, in our, uh, you know, all the different sectors that we're competitive in, that we've really got the opportunity to start making the change that we want to see across the whole country. Um, and that that's going to be the engine of, of, of progress that's going to power us forward. So for me, uh, that's the one I think that's the most interesting, because as I say, it, it, it contains the most possibility of change. Um, but um, the Treasury portfolio is interesting. It it, um, it very much uh, utilizes, if you like, the, the <laughs> uh, pays back the hard work I spent over nearly a decade training to become an accountant. <laughs> I have very detailed discussions with my policy advisors about VAT and inheritance tax, just because I can. <laughs> and um, uh, and and so I think that's interesting. But one one I think. Probably one of the features, and people will see this more and more as we get closer to the general election, is that at the moment, the situation in the economy is that there isn't a huge amount of wiggle room. There's not going to be uh, calls for higher taxes and more spending. We haven't got a huge range of 
uh, options. And that's why I think for me, the business portfolio is kind of more interesting because that's where the possibility of change exists. I mean, when you look at UK business at the current time, I mean, obviously, we, we have our, our problems at the moment um, in terms of the economy. But from a big picture perspective, how would you assess the current strengths and weaknesses of, of UK business? And what would be your vision for the future of UK business? Well, I think the strengths, and we need to talk more about this because they are they are pretty remarkable and I'm I'm sure I'm as guilty as any other politician or opposition politician of really like laying on the gloom and the doom but I I am always um excited and it's so lovely to go out particularly in my own constituency and meet some of the um some of the uh the the, the thriving small businesses we have in Richmond Park um but it, it's 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 innovation it's ingenuity it's spotting opportunities it's you know making the most of what we've got uh it's 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 um stepping forward making connections having ideas uh, uh, you know there is and one of the things I'm really passionate about, for example, and you, you might have picked this up from when I was talking about my background, is I'm really passionate about the creative sector. And it's not just that we create some of the best cultural products uh, you know, in the world, and we always have, and we continue to, but it's also because it really is you know, the, 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 the basis of so much innovation, inventiveness. Um, and I, and I, I continue to find that's very much at the heart of um, our business um, culture here in the UK. Um, and that that's something that we really need to nurture and celebrate and set free uh, and make sure that we're really making the the best of it. I mean, we continue to be world leading in financial services, in uh, in, in 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 pharmaceuticals and life sciences, um, our science and technology, uh, and whether that's you know sort of life saving healthcare or whether it's video games. You know, again, we have such uh, an extraordinary technology sector and it's growing and it's expanding both in terms of uh, of what it offers, but also the different areas that it's moving into. I think the Prime Minister is quite right to emphasise the role that AI is going to play and to really want to get ahead of, of, of that and what that means. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love us to be more strategic about thinking about how we're going to harness those um uh, those those capabilities and really and really make the most of them, um, and I think um, you, you know we continue to be good at funding startups in this country. We continue to be good at spotting new talent and giving it an opportunity. We continue to be good at partnership working. We continue to be good at um, you know producing fantastic ideas in our universities. So there is so much you know, that's there kind of at the innovation stage and at the grassroots stage and at the, you know, I still think it's the best place in the world to start a business. Um, I think where we are struggling, and these are the result of long-term trends, uh, but, but we really do need to 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 look at them uh, and, and be honest about, you know, what, what, what the challenges are. Um, I think firstly around funding, startup funding, is there, but scale-up funding uh, and domestic investment um, is really starting to fall behind. I think there's lots of different reasons for that, but we need what we would, what we really need to do is to come up with strategies for how we encourage domestic investment, foreign investment, yes, but particularly, you know, we need UK investment to 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 send a signal to to be the leaders in this. And why are UK firms? UK investors not investing in UK firms, um, particularly when they're, they're, you know, they're proven startups and, you know, what we're looking for is is growth and scale. 
we need to do a whole lot more um, about uh, upskilling our, not just our youngsters, but our career changes. You know, the world is moving really fast. People who trained for jobs 20 years ago are going to find those skills obsolete within the next five to 10 years. So we need to, you know, make sure that we are, it's a process, I suppose, of continuing to keep people um, trained up, but, you know, making sure we're giving people opportunities to, you know, you're not going to be stuck doing the same job for 40 years anymore. So what are you going to do after 20 uh, sort of mindset, I think is really, really important. Um, what I'm particularly keen to encourage is employer-led training, because I think that's the best way to be uh, flexible. Uh, yes, I want to see more funding for our further education sector in particular, but where employers can lead training initiatives uh, because they know what they need and um, where they can work in partnership with with further education institutions. I think that's that's the best model. Um, and then I think we uh, we've, we're all facing a big challenge around climate change. And again, I think businesses have really led the way in innovation. But again, it's that lack of scale up capital. We're not you know, coming forward with solutions we need on a society wide level. Um, and again, upskilling. There are so many opportunities right across the country for greening the economy, and we need to grasp them, particularly in those areas that um, are, you know, struggling with their with their local economies um but we can do so much more with things like energy efficiency uh, in our manufacturing processes uh, and particularly our, our our transportation um so i think those those are the big challenges and it's 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 that kind of you know encouraging businesses to grow and giving businesses what they need to grow that we really do need a focus on yes and I mean, you mentioned some of the more immediate problems facing the UK economy and certainly the concern around inflation, around sort of weak rates of economic growth, and also the, the UK's relationship with the EU. These are factors which we pick up from our polling of IOD members as being you know, key concerns. You know, how would the Liberal Democrats address each of those three um, difficulties? Yeah, so I mean, you mentioned um, the relationship with the EU. I haven't yet yet addressed that, but I mean, obviously, it's something that's very close to the heart of Liberal Democrats. We fought the last election on wanting to, you know, reverse Brexit because we thought it was a terrible idea. Still think it's a terrible idea, <laughs> but we obviously are where we are. Um, uh, yeah, our our goal is to rejoin the single market eventually because we can't get growth into our economy without, um, you know bringing down some of these trade barriers that we've erected with our European neighbours. Uh, it's not just the immediate impact of uh, the difficulties that trading with, with Europe, um, uh, you know, that we're now facing. It's the long-term difficulties. It makes us a less attractive destination for international investment. It makes us a less attractive destination for talented people to come and work here. There's lots of different reasons why, you know, we really want to, to set about dismantling some of those those barriers that have been erected but it's a process it's not like we can have another referendum and rejoin tomorrow uh, we need to start with you know just looking at what those barriers are seeing what agreements we can come to on things like mutual recognition of professional services veterinary agreements and so on and so forth I'd like to see more opportunities for mobility particularly for young people um, so um, you know we, we, we would start there and then we would gradually progress towards. But I mean, the first and most important thing that we need to do is to rebuild trust with our European neighbours. We've become an extremely unreliable partner um, and we can't expect them to welcome us back overnight with open arms because, you know, there's 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 a lot of wariness, if you like, about, you know, how 
how how our relationship with the EU has been used for political purposes. So I think it will take a little while before we can really be able to have some of the discussions that certainly the Liberal Democrats would like to be having about reducing trade barriers. But I think there's a there's a there's a broader understanding across the country now that actually Brexit has been damaging. Um, and you know we we should try and find ways to repair the damage. So we're absolutely advocates for that. Um, although, as I say, it's not going to it's not going to be an overnight process. Um, and I get that people are impatient. I understand why people would like to hear the Liberal Democrats, in particular, you know, being much more sort of full throated in kind of like want to hear us talk about rejoin. But it's actually a recognition of the practical situation that we find ourselves in, as much as anything. So I think you know, primarily that that's our our position on, on on Europe. But there's no doubt that we want to see us moving in a direction towards rejoining the single market because if every every trade barrier that we can bring down uh, enhances our possibilities for growth, and that's very much something we want to see. So growth, um, obviously, um, primarily bringing down trade barriers. But I think there are other things we can do um, within within the UK. I've talked a lot about the importance of upskilling, not just young people, but you know, people through every stage of their career. We would really, really be wanting to encourage that. We're we're looking at the possibility of tax breaks for uh, for for training, for example, um, and um, and I think it's as much about not just people, you know, learning learning skills and being able to do things, but also about the people who manage them. I think one of the things, there's there's quite compelling uh, evidence out there, and I expect some of your members will have seen it, that actually what can make a really critical difference to growth is is understanding people management and resource management. So, you know, backroom staff, um, uh, you know, are just as important as, as frontline. Uh, and I would say that, wouldn't I, because I was an accountant, but I still think it's true. And um, so, I th- and um, as I say, we need to embrace the green economy. There's not going to be a route to growth uh, without that. Uh, and we can't stick our heads in the sand about what needs to be done. Uh, well, there was a report out this week from the Climate Change Committee, and it's just been very critical of progress. And I'm, I tried to be optimistic, but honestly, that's one of the things that really does make me despair because, you know, we're just not grasping this really historic, um, yes, risk, but also opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very, very profound. And we, we absolutely, and I'm, I'm very supportive of all the things that have be previously been laid out, you know, as being the pathway to net zero. Uh, we just need to get a move on. And for me, that's, that's one of the more frustrating opportunities wasted of I, what I think, you know, for the, the, the political turmoil of the last few years has led to enormous opportunity cost. And for me, the, 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 the battle against climate change is probably the main one. Um, and then you were talking about inflation and, um, you know, inflation being very sticky, as everyone's saying. Uh, that, I think, is a really profound challenge. And it's a challenge for people in their everyday lives, and their, you know, individuals and households, but it's a challenge for, for businesses and the wider economy. Um, I think the Chancellor is right to say that... Um, it needs to. We need to, to to bring it down, but I think it needs to be much more strategic. Uh, there seems to be a bit of, you know, sitting on hands and just telling everyone that they can't have a pay rise, and that's going to magically bring down inflation. I think we need to be more strategic. We've been calling since the beginning of the year, for example, for the Chancellor to uh, continue to support businesses with their energy costs. 
Um, and you can see from looking underneath the most recent inflation figures that some of the biggest rises are in hospitality uh, and you know sort of going out and cultural events and so on. And I think one of that one of the reasons for that is because it's it costs so much now to run a hospitality business. It's just as expensive in the summer as it is in the winter because you've got to keep the fridges on and the freezers, uh, and that's that's a huge amount of, of energy use. So to try and and for obviously wholesale energy prices have been coming down for those businesses who signed two or three year deals will have, still be paying um, fuel costs at a very high rate. So I think if the Chancellor had done more for businesses uh, with their energy costs, then we wouldn't be seeing the inflation we're seeing at the moment in uh, in, in the hospitality sector. Um, I think some of the, uh, but I think one of the key reasons for um, wage inflation at the moment, uh, which I think is the Prime Minister's um, big concern because that's obviously fueling secondary inflation. I do think the continued very uh, large waiting lists for NHS um, treatment uh, still stubbornly high. Uh, it was something like 1.7 million, I think, at the beginning of the year. And it's it's really not come down by very much at all. Um, and I think a real investment in what's needed to get those waiting lists down, get people back to work. Um, and that sounds a bit uh, a bit brutal almost, but it is, it's not just about people in work are, are happy, productive, and they're living their fullest life, right? So it's not just about, uh, you know, everyone, you know, <laughs> people as economic units. It's also about people being able to live the sort of life that everybody wants to be able to live. But too many people at the moment are, are struggling with conditions that prevent them from doing that, whether it's a mental health condition, or, you know, back pain, or, you know, that it, it could be anything, but we really do. So I think uh, a much greater push to get the the waiting lists down on the NHS could be the boost to workforce that we need to stop uh, seeing uh, wage inflation spiralling quite so sharply. So I think the government need to be more strategic about bringing down inflation. And those are the, some of the things that we would recommend. Well, now that you mentioned strategy, maybe I could come on to something else, which is I, I noticed that you still have the term industrial strategy in your job title, even though the government has removed that from um, the, the description of its the relevant department. It's now the Department for Business and Trade. Um, it's, what's the Lib Dems' view on industrial strategy? Do you still feel that that is, is a very important concept? 100%. Uh, I mean, partly I've still got industrial strategy in my title because we didn't update right. <laughs> our spokespersonships after the, uh, the, the, the change of government uh, machinery changes that, uh, in, earlier in the year. But actually, the other reason it's still there is because it's very much central to what we think needs to happen, uh, you know. What, or rather that this is the role that the government should be playing in the economy. It's very much about uh, what, are the, what, what, are, what are the strategic interventions that government need to make to underpin a strong economy. Um, and for us, that's summed up in the phrase industrial strategy. Um, and it will certainly, I think, be at the heart of our manifesto. Um, not, not to give too much away, and I'm constantly being lectured that I mustn't make manifesto commitments yet. <laughs> it's too soon. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 there's no doubt it will play quite a, a, a strong role because it's looking at, you know, what, what's, what, what's the world economy looking like at the moment? What role are we going to play in that as, as a country? Uh, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What can the government do to uh, promote the strengths, address the weaknesses? Um, and, you know, of, of where, where the government has, has money to spend, how does it, you know, where is it going to direct that spending? But also, you know, there's such an important role for policy here. And I think that's been the 
you know, I speak to so many people who are really, really keen to to make investments in the green economy, to really develop their ideas. But at the, but what they need is the government to commit. So commit to things like heat pumps in domestic homes. It's something we've been talking about for years and years and years, but we don't yet have a, a strong policy commitment that that's what the government want to do. As soon as they do, we will unleash, you know, a huge, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, outpouring of innovation across our heat pump sector. You know, there'll be training opportunities available both for, you know, manufacturer and uh, and installation. Uh, we'll start to see innovation. We'll start to see the competition that we urgently need to drive down the prices. Um, and we'll start to see the utility companies reconfiguring in order to facilitate. But what's needed is that kind of like policy push uh, to sort of say, right, this is the goal. This is where we want to get to. We want to target those on low incomes first. You know, we're going to put in this money. Who's going to come with us? And and that's the sort of, um, and that's what we mean by industrial strategy. Um, and I think more than ever it's needed right now because we do need to make some decisions about how we're going to address the climate change challenge. We know that the private sector has a huge role to play in that. But currently, people too many people are waiting, sitting on their investments, if you like, because they don't know, you know, are the government going to make a big push for tidal, for example, which would make a lot of sense. We're an island. We've got a lot of coastlines. So tidal power would, would be, you know, uh, something that w- w- would be sensible to invest in. Um and if the government were to make that indication, I think that would unleash a lot of um, uh, a lot of investment. Likewise, onshore wind. At the moment, we're doing incredibly well with offshore, uh, and we've really demonstrated what a difference um, wind power as part of a renewable mix can make. Um, but let's you know, let, let's think about what the opportunities for onshore solar panels. Why don't we yet have solar panels on the roof of every new built home? <laughs> we could just do that and the government needs to set that as a policy priority there is so much uh, opportunity for then for people to come in and invest in in solar and again so many opportunities for well-paid jobs as i say manufacturing and installing solar panels uh but you know these these and it just needs a kind of that policy direction for people to feel that the government are backing you know, a particular direction and therefore it's safe for them to invest. And that's that's the sort of thing we need to see. And that's what we want to develop. Uh, and that's why we want, the, you know, the idea of industrial strategy is is sort of front and centre uh, of, of our economic thinking. Well, on the green economy, um, a lot of our competitors, of course, are really moving ahead um, in, in that area, um, especially the US, of course, with the Inflation Reduction Act seems to have been a, become a real game changer internationally. Um, do you think that those initiatives overseas are, are a threat? Do they threaten the UK's kind of leadership role in the green economy? And and what actually can the UK do in particular to incentivize SMEs, where, where many of the IOD membership is located, to, to de- decarbonize their business models? Yeah, I do think, I mean, I think, um, well, firstly, I think it was a bit of a political masterstroke of Joe Biden's to call it the Inflation Reduction Act when it was really <laughs> a climate change act, but <laughs> he didn't want to call it that. Uh, you know, to, to, he wouldn't have got the support for a climate change act that he got for an Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, hats off to him for that. Um, I think, uh, yes, I, absolutely, it's a threat and we can see 
so much uh, investment moving to the states now, precisely for the reasons that I already described. Once you set a clear policy agenda, it de-risks investment, and and that and, and people can see that there are going to be returns. There's 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 a lot of government funding going into it, which supports uh, delivery and and you know creates a space for, um, for, for for private sector to thrive. So I think that's. Um, I think it absolutely is a risk. It's certainly threatening our uh, our position uh, in terms of, 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 of a green economy. But I don't think that needs to be the case. Um, and I think what we need to be looking at in, in this country is it, it's so much of it is around um, energy generation. As I say, we have so many opportunities in this country uh, for, for, for renewable energy generation. And that's something, and obviously with the crisis in Ukraine and, and, and Putin's... Um, uh, response to that uh, crisis in Ukraine was caused by Putin. What am I saying? But you know his response to the to European and, and American support for Ukraine. Um, you know the 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 need for uh, energy security is greater than ever. So you know there there are definite opportunities uh, in in that. Uh, and as I say, you know we really do need to be upskilling our workforce in in, in new technologies and and the green economy. Um, so huge opportunities there as well um but yes i do think i do think it's it's i i, I think it's a threat but you know i think what the great thing about um business people and entrepreneurs is that the flip side of every threat is an opportunity so we need to think about well um how are we going to respond to that um i don't necessarily think it's going to be anything like a kind of an inflation reduction act of our own but it is about at least being able to, you know, now that the lead is being taken elsewhere, it's not so much that we're going to be following, but it gives us more confidence. And again, it sort of de-risks uh, some of the similar, you know, investments that we'd like to make in this country. Um, and um, the, I think there are still opportunities in Europe to be to be the leader uh, in some of these new technologies and to showing that they can work and to being uh, adept at rolling them out is is probably a, a great opportunity um, for for us. Um, but yes, I think it, you know energy for me, I think is is the key area where where there's opportunities for us, and we really do need to make the most of the moment so that we can seize them um, and uh, 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 and really forge ahead with that. Well, my final question uh, relates to the IOD, and really just wanted to ask you um, how would you like to work with IOD members? I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurial business people out there who are part of the IOD. You know, how can we work with you to help you achieve your your goals and objectives? Um, I think it's it's about hearing from you collectively, individually about what's going on in your business. And I think I hear a lot, as I say, that the, the doom and gloom, what I really want to hear about, the doom and gloom is helpful because obviously we want to formulate policies as to how we can make things better. But what's really, I really want to hear about is what's going well, you know, who's, whose brilliant idea is transforming lives across the country, whose fantastic, you know, um, community-based initiative is now providing employment in a in an area where uh, you know unemployment had previously been very high who is you know making the most of uh, you know the, the opportunities available to them to really kind of um, you, know, uh, you know create new ways of working I really really want to hear about that who's who's doing something that hasn't been done before and is really creating value out of it I think those are the things I think 
it feels at the moment um, uh, that everybody is just feeling very gloomy about our national prospects. And I'm not surprised because public sector is, is, you know, it's having a very difficult time. We've talked about inflation and interest rates and what that's doing for individuals and for businesses. You know, climate change is, is you know, increasingly a threat. So everything at the moment feels quite, quite depressing. So what I really want to hear, and as I said at the very beginning, for me, business is where the change happens. You know, tell me about the changes. Tell me about what's going well. Tell me about the thing that wasn't working and now it is so that we can really, I think it's time we started pushing some more of those good news stories out there. Uh, otherwise, you know, people need people need to believe that things can get better. Uh, and at the moment, it's hard for politicians to, to tell those stories and to make that case because there's not much to work with. So um, I really want to hear about the good news stories and I want to be able to transmit those. And I, when we go out on the campaign trail next year, who am I kidding? We're on the campaign trail already, but the formal campaign trail, the one that everyone will see, I want to be able to deliver a, an, an optimistic message and say things can get better, things are getting better, we need to do X, Y, and Z, but, you know, there's, you know, I've got young children, I'm sure lots of your listeners do as well, and I don't want to carry on too much longer in this state of thinking the best days are behind us, you know, there's nothing to look forward to. You know, I, I want them to have ambitions and dreams and to look forward to a world in which they can lead really fulfilling lives. So we need to turn things around somehow. And I'm sure your members are at the forefront of doing that. And I want to hear about it. <laughs> well, great. Hopefully they are listening to you now. Um, <laughs> get in touch with the amazing things. Brilliant. that they're, Plug that my inbox with all of your good news. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sarah Olney, thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, I enjoyed our conversation. Many thanks. Not at all. Absolute pleasure. hope that you have enjoyed this director's briefing podcast please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts you can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our linkedin and twitter profiles you can also contact us directly via policy unit at iod.com